joining us in the message entitled The Unseen Battle, The Bad Guys, which is part four of Mission Possible, a series on spiritual warfare. While they're headed out, if you take your Bibles out and turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel, we're going to begin there. We're going to be skipping around all over the place, but that's where we're going to start. Because uh, this morning I'm doing a uh, fourth part of a series that I've been doing on a, a sermon uh, series I've entitled Mission Possible. Um, been talking about spiritual warfare. Um, I believe that it is possible to understand spiritual warfare. I believe it's possible to achieve victory over the spiritual powers that seek to destroy you. How many of you believe that? Say amen. Amen. Week one, we studied the objective of warfare. And uh, the fact that, I mean, it's kind of a foregone conclusion. As Christians, we know the objective of the enemy is to seek whom he may devour. The Bible says he roams over the earth seeking whom he may devour. Jesus came to seek and save those that are lost. Satan comes to seek those that are lost to destroy them. So that's, that's his objective. He wants to take your freedom. The Bible says, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Right. Well, he doesn't want you to continue in God's word. Therefore, not knowing what the truth is and not remaining free. So that's his objective. Week two, we talked about the stronghold. To destroy any enemy, it is, it is uh, imperative that, he, that the enemy controls the stronghold, usually in in tactical warfare, it's the high ground. And so we found out from the Bible that actually the battle is fought primarily in the mind. Every time we compromise the Word of God, we give up just a little bit more ground to the enemy who will eventually take complete control of the high ground, of the, of the stronghold. And what we are doing is compromising the Word of God. We are actually exalting our thoughts above the Word of God. And when we do that, we have actually taken our tradition and our doctrine and made it uh, greater than the Word of God. And Jesus said, when you do that, because of your doctrine and your traditions, you actually make the Word of God of no effect. And we do what the Jews that actually, uh, the Pharisees did. He said, because of your traditions, you've made the Word of God of no effect. And in week three, we began to look at the characters in this war. We looked at the good guys. We talked about the angelic beings that fight in the unseen battle, just as the youth has demonstrated this morning. There's a, there's a war going on over us and around us. There's actually three heavens. Paul said he was caught up into the third heaven, and he saw things that he was not even able to mention. But we are in actually the first heaven or our atmosphere. And then the second heaven is, of course, the outer, the universe or whatever. The third heaven is the atmosphere that... Where God dwells. But the atmosphere that we dwell in, the heavens, this is actually the first heaven. It is the realm in and around us where the spirits actually dwell. They move. They operate. They go to and fro here and there. Angels are sent, the Bible says, by God to minister to the saints. You know, So they come and actually do battle on our behalf. We looked at Daniel and how they fought on his behalf. We looked at the fact that there's an innumerable host of angels fighting on our behalf. You can't even number them. There are so many, the Bible says. 
And then we broke it down to the doctrines of angels. We looked at the fact that there are seraphims, there are cherubims, zoe, living creatures. There are spirit horses and chariots. Man, I like that part. If I'm in trouble, brother, send me the chariots of fire and the, and the horse drivers, the chariot drivers, brother. Then we looked at the archangels and the chief princes. And then we looked at common angels. There's actually 294 references in the Bible. 33 out of the 66 books of the Bible mentions angels. So they're real. Folks, they're just as real as you and I. They have different personalities, different characteristics. They're powerful beings. Much, much more powerful than, than man. So we looked at the existence of angels, their nature. A really good book, if you want to kind of just get a grip on what the angelic host is about, is a book called This Present Darkness by Frank Peretti. Excellent book, just to kind of bring it into perspective about what's going on in the spirit realm. Uh, don't read it at night before you go to bed. <laughs> read it in the daylight. It'll just help you, all right? But you don't have anything to fear because God is for you. Amen? Amen. If God is for you, who can be against you? No power on earth. Praise God. Demons have to flee. Boy, when I inject the name of Jesus, they're gone. they got to go. Can't stay. So be encouraged. You're not in this battle alone. Amen? Jesus came and... And then he was tempted by Satan. The angels, the Bible says, came and ministered to him. We know that they delivered Peter from prison. They stood by Paul when he's in peril and sea and he's getting ready to shipwreck. He said, this night the angel of God stood by me and told me that we're going to be all right. They guided John when he was exiled on the Isle of Patmos and gave him one of the greatest revelations known to man. They have fought for Daniel the 21 days. He said, the, the angel came and says, I've been fighting the prince of Persia, and when I leave, I'm going to fight the prince of Grecia. Just keep praying, Daniel. They was with him in the lion's den. The king said, as your Lord saved you, Daniel, he said, the, the angel of God stood with me. Shut the mouths of the lions. He stood by the three Hebrew children when they're in the fiery furnace, dancing around in fireproof clothes. Said their clothes wasn't even singed. Angel of God sustained them. And he's here today. And He's fighting on your behalf. Amen? Amen. Amen. Isn't that good news? Amen. So you can be encouraged, brother. We're not in this battle by ourselves. Alright, today we're going to look at the other characters uh, in this battle. We're going to look at the bad guys today. We're going to look at the boogeymen. Alright? <laughs> so Mission Possible Part 4, the demonic realm. Let's pray. Father, we just come before Your throne again in Jesus' name. Lord, we pray that You give us a biblical, balanced perspective on the subject that we're addressing today. Lord, help us to not take this to an extreme that is not healthy, Lord, but not to make light of it as if it's something to be made light of, Lord. But let us see the truth that's in it. God, You said we'll know the truth. And it is that truth that makes us free. So, Father, teach us today. Holy Spirit of God, we welcome You to come right now into the presence of this building. We give You complete and total liberty Father, we ask that You, by Your Spirit, minister to every single person. Father, we just right now invoke the name of Jesus and bind every spirit that would try to hinder, distract, confuse in any way those that are here today that are uh, listening to Your Word. Now give us clarity and we pray an anointing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Alright, let me just start off in, in, by way of a disclaimer. All right, The study today is intended... For the education of those who hear it on the subject of the demonic realm from a biblical perspective. It is in no way designed to encourage anyone to seek out, attempt to communicate, or any way to attempt to contact entities of the spirit realm. 
be they hates, ghosts, goblins, spooks, apparitions, phantoms, wraiths, specters, or any other type of boogeyman. Is everybody clear on that? Alright. Now the list that I just gave you are all synonymous terms used to describe the appearance or manifestation of what is believed by many to be disembodied spirits. So let me be perfectly clear on this point this morning. The only spirit that a living human being can encounter, according to the Bible, which is the final authority on the subject, amen, is either an angelic being, which is godly, it's holy, it's pure, or it is a demonic being, which is ungodly, it's evil, it's unclean, it's always unholy and wicked. That's it. It's either an angelic being or demonic being. There is no such thing as disembodied spirits of deceased people, period. Has everybody got that? No such thing as ghosts. And and we need to understand that because seeking the the paranormal is a phenomenon today. I mean, people, I mean, they got electromagnetic sensors to see if there's any kind of electromagnetic waves in the air and they check temperature waves to see if there's a cold spot. Ooh, it's a ghost there. And it's crazy stuff to try to identify if there's a ghost present. I mean, they go to haunted houses and stuff. They're hunting ghosts. (laughs) And so you need to understand that, first of all, they're dabbling with the demonic realm. And certainly if they're looking for it, they're going to find it. Because demons are more than willing to manifest themselves if you open the door to that to that avenue, I promise you. And I can't encourage you enough. Don't don't mess with that kind of stuff, you know. But, but I'm going to get into it a little bit more in a minute. But but that's a very dangerous thing to do. Um, some people try to say, well, the Bible teaches that there was a disembodied spirit. I mean, after all, didn't Saul, King Saul, call up the spirit of Samuel? Let's make that point clear this morning. Alright? You want to straighten that out? I told you to find your place in 1 Samuel. Let's go to uh, chapter 28 verse 5. And let's look at that account. Verse 5 it says, And when Saul saw the host of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart greatly troubled. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him not neither by dream nor by Urim nor by prophets. Now, the Urim was actually a stone. They had the Urim and the Thummimim that they would inquire of these stones. And we really don't know exactly how they got an answer from them, but God would answer them through these stones. So I think there were some people, uh, scholars believe that they were on the breastplate of the priests or they carried them in a pouch in their pocket. I'm not really sure on that subject, but anyway, they would, they would get an answer from that. And God says, I'm not going to answer you. All right, I'm not going to answer you. Verse 7, Then said Saul unto his servant, Seek me out a woman that hath a familiar spirit. Everybody say familiar spirit. Familiar spirit. That I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, Behold, there is a woman who hath a familiar spirit at Endor. And Saul disguised himself and put on other raiment. And he went and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night and said, I pray thee, divine unto me, by the familiar spirit, and bring me him up, whom I shall name unto thee. And the woman said unto him, Behold, thou knowest what Saul hath done, how he hath cut off those that hath familiar spirits, and the wizards 
out of the land. Wherefore, then lest thou a snare for my life to cause me to die. And Saul swear to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord liveth, there shall no punishment happen to thee for this thing. Now, you have to understand that he just right there uh, contradicted the Word of God. Because you read in other places in the Old Testament that if you had a person with a familiar spirit or a wizard, they were to be stoned to death. And what he's saying is, it's all right, go ahead and practice your witchcraft. Nothing's going to happen to you. I don't care what God said. You, you got that? Okay. Verse 10, and Saul, let's see, verse 11. Then said the woman, whom shall I bring up to, unto thee? And he said, bring me up Samuel. Verse 12, now I want you to get this. And when the woman saw, everybody say the woman saw. All right. When the woman saw Samuel. In other words, King Saul didn't see a thing. The woman saw this thing, this manifestation. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried with a loud voice. And the woman spake to Saul, saying, Why hast thou deceived me? Thou art Saul. Verse 13, And the king said unto her, Be not afraid, for what sawest thou? See, he didn't see a thing. He's asking her, What did you see? And the woman said unto Saul, I saw gods ascending out of the earth. In other words, she didn't see Samuel. She saw demon spirits coming out of the earth. Okay, verse 14. And she said, and he said unto her, What form is he of? And she said, An old man cometh up, and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel. And he stooped his face to the ground and bowed himself. Now there's two things here that prove that this is a demon spirit and not the disembodied spirit of Samuel. Number one, we find in verse 6. It said, And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him not, neither by dream, nor by Urim, nor by a prophet. In other words, God says, I'm not going to answer you. And the prophets aren't going to answer you. And I don't care what kind of power a witch from indoor or anywhere else has, they cannot supersede the command of God. God said, a prophet's not going to answer you. She couldn't call a prophet up to answer him. Because God said he's not going to be answered by a prophet. The second thing we find in the Chronicles, 1 Chronicles chapter 10, and it's actually the Chronicles of Saul's life. You have to understand the reason God is not speaking to him is because he disobeyed God. God told him to go into the Malachites to kill everything. He saved King Amalek and all the best sheep and goats. And when Samuel came to him, he said, he told him he had done everything that the God had commanded him. He said, well, why do I hear sheep blading and cows lowing? And he, because he had disobeyed God. Now, at the end of his life, we see in 1 Chronicles chapter 10, it says, so Saul died for his transgression, which he committed against the Lord. That's when he disobeyed God. Even against the word of the Lord, which he kept not, and also for asking counsel of one that had a familiar spirit to inquire of it. You understand, he wasn't talking to Samuel, he was talking to a familiar spirit, a demon spirit, that knew who Samuel was, knew what he looked like, and was able to manifest himself to appear as Samuel. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's no such thing as disembodied spirits. People that die, they either go into the presence of God or they go to hell, period. They don't wander the earth and you cannot talk to them. 
And people that attempt to talk to them are talking to a demon spirit that may in fact even look like the person. Why? Because they know who they are. Demons know who you are. They know what you look like. When you're dead and gone, they can very easily manifest themselves as you. If somebody is... Careful, Bernie. If somebody is unwise enough to go and try to summon a spirit from the dead, they have opened the door for all kinds of demonic activity. And folks, I cannot express enough to you how dangerous that is. So, the practice of inquiring of demons by any means is strictly forbidden by God. So you need to be beware of this ghost hunting. And folks, Christians can very easily be guilty of this very same thing. I've seen it. The subject of demonology, that's why I do the disclaimer. Because some people get so wrapped up in this, man, they're looking for demons and everything. We're not supposed to be out looking for demons, folks. We cast them out. If they show up in Jesus' name, you got to go. Get out! Go! Jesus did it. The apostles did it. And He said, these signs will follow you. But you don't go looking for them. To try to communicate with them and, and show your power and all of the folks, that's dangerous business. We just don't do that. And I've seen it in the church. Man, I've seen, brother, I've seen them try to cast demons out of a gas cap. Because it wouldn't come off the car. People waking up in the middle of the night trying to cast a demon out of their husband and wife who are born again Christians. I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. Some of my mentors, you remember that? I'm like, what? And got into this whole thing, pigs in the parlor and all this stuff. Oh, my Lord, have mercy. It's strictly forbidden. Deuteronomy chapter 18, we see the command from God. This is the book of Moses or the book of the law. We find in verse 9 through 14, he says, When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the abomination of those nations. Thou shalt not be found among you any one that maketh his son or daughter pass through the fire, or that uses divination, or any observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. And He will drive you out too. Are you hearing me? It's an abomination to God to do these things. It's dangerous. Now, I prepared a PowerPoint because I want you to see what these points are because some of you are sitting there thinking, what in the world is a necromancer? That sounds like something you do with yarn and needles. Huh? <laughs> so let's just run through it real quick. And so you can see, if, if, is this things that really actually goes on around us today? What is a forbidden practice. These things are forbidden because they are used to take the place of God's guidance. Number one, to make his son or daughter to pass through the fire. That means human sacrifice. Or in modern terms, it means abortion. You're not to do that. No one is ever to kill, that means to murder, another human being. And a baby not born yet is just as alive as you and me because God also created and formed this life. Amen. And let me say, every time I touch on this subject, there's very likely people present that has had an abortion. 
So I'd just like to take a minute to minister to you because we're not here to heap guilt and condemnation on you. I want to let you know that what you've done is no greater than the sin that I have committed and the person sitting beside you. You understand? And the Bible says if we have sinned, we have an advocate with God the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you. From all unrighteousness. I did a sermon on this one Sunday. God just spoke to my spirit and said, Tell them this. Their child is with me. Alright? And their child says, Mommy, I forgive you. And such a release came that day. I'll never forget it. I, I had all the women stand together and I prayed with them because I didn't want to embarrass anybody. And woman after woman after woman came to the altar. They didn't care. They just wanted to get free from that guilt and that shame. And then after that, a lady came to me and says, Don't forget the fathers of aborted children. They hurt too. You know? Because sometimes they are they're a part of that, you know. And sometimes they weren't, and either way, it's it's just a heart wrenching thing. So number two, divination. The practice or art of discovering hidden knowledge uh, uh, and foretelling future events by occult supernatural means, fortune-telling, or psychics. Never go to a psychic or fortune-teller for any reason. God is the creator of the universe, and He alone knows your future. Beware of psychics, fortune-tellers, Ouija boards, crystal balls, tarot cards, tea leaf readings, etc. You say, well, Pastor, do you read your fortune cookie when you go to the Chinese place? Let me help you out on that one. No, I don't. Honestly, I don't. I wouldn't read that thing for all the sweet and sour chicken they could give me. I don't. God knows my future, not some piece of paper and a cookie. And when you read that, it's like you're going to come into some wealth. And something in your mind says, maybe that's true, you know. And the thing, you've opened yourself to something, folks. That I mean, just don't. Just don't. God said don't do it. Just don't do it. Say, so, well, it's innocent. Well, I want to tell you, you know, it's I just don't do that. Because if I crack that thing open and I know God told me not to do that, every time you compromise what you know to be true, you give a little more ground to the enemy. It's here. You understand what I'm saying? It may be a small thing to some people. It's a big thing to God. It's a big thing to me. Number three, observer of times. It's the same as astrology. And, and in the sense that astrology is used to foretell the future. There's nothing wrong with studying astrology, but for the purpose of foretelling the future. Or stargazing. It is another form of divination. If a person who looks to the stars for guidance, uh, we should beware of horoscopes or anything that takes the place of God's direction. God is our guidance, not His creation. Horoscopes may appear to be harmless, but they become addictive. So I know some people, they've they got to read their horoscope every morning. They just do, you know. Reading horoscopes are another form of accepting and honoring occult practices that God has clearly condemned. They are written by people who believe in astrology and are disobeying God. So beware of astrology, horoscopes, numerology, palm reading, and things of that nature. Number four is enchanters. That's a magician or a sorcerer, one who casts spells or tries to bewitch. 
You avoid any that has to do with magic. Remember, it doesn't matter if it appears good. Magic is something God hates. You know, we shouldn't be trying to do little magic spells. You know, as kids, we like to teach Hocus Pocus and Alakazam and all this stuff, and it's indoctrinated through all of our cartoons. I remember Popper Smurf and Gargamel. How many of you remember Popper Smurf, the little Smurfs and all? Dude casting a spell all the time, and I'm sitting there watching, and one day it kind of clicked. He's going and fighting Gargamel, the sorcerer, you know. Well, I knew Gargamel was a bad guy. The Papa Smurf was supposed to be the good guy. But he was always casting spells. And I'm like, what are we listening to? That's going into my spirit, you know. So beware of yoga, meditation, mantras, hypnosis, subliminal tapes, and New Age medicines, etc. Witches, a person who practices magic, one who deals with demonic spirits, they practice black or white magic. There is no such thing as good magic. Both of them come from Satan. Wicca, white or black magic, casting spells and seances, beware of those things. I remember our youth group when I was a teenager. The girls had a sleepover for the purpose of having a seance. Well, they thought it was funny. And me and my buddy thought it was funny too. We was going to slip in there and throw a knife in the, on the floor, you know, just to scare them and stuff. Because we just didn't know, folks, we were just ignorant to these things. And that's why the church seems to understand demons are real. Angels are real. The spirit realm is real. There's a warfare going on, and He wants to suck you into this thing. Are you understanding me? Say amen. Yeah. Do you think I'm crazy? Don't say anything. <laughs> well, you're crazy too because you believe it too. Amen? <laughs> a charmer, number six, is to put a spell on someone to change things by use of magic, the chanting of magical verses or formula. <laughs> The object or piece of jewelry used for the purpose of magic. When I was a kid, we was taught you could carry a buckeye in your pocket and it was a good luck charm. A rabbit's foot. Huh? It's demonic! <laughs> I wish I may, I wish I might. Huh? You ever said that? I wish on the first star. I see tonight. That's demonic! And we do it and teach it in fairy tales and riddles and rhymes and have no idea what, we are, what we're dabbling in. Beware of these things. Say, thanks for telling me, Pastor B. <laughs> well, I'm glad I found that too. No, I don't carry a buckeye in my pocket. Or a rabbit's foot. Beware of occult symbols, talismans, amulets, crystals. You ever seen people hang crystals from their mirrors and stuff? And New Age positive thinking and confessions, etc. Number seven, consulting with familiar spirits to ask, demand, or desire of an evil spirit or demon spirit. A person called a medium believes they are contacting the dead. But in reality, what they are really contacting is an evil spirit. That is pretending to be the dead. So beware of channeling, spiritism, mediums, space brothers, ascended masters, invisible spirit friends, Ouija boards, automatic writings, and seances. Number eight is wizards. He said you're not to have those among you or seek them out. 
A person who knows many things about the occult and is in touch with the demonic spirits. I mean, they actually talk to these spirits. They actually hear them talk. I know people that I trust their word and I trust their encounter that have heard the audible voice of demon spirits. Is that true, Mama? Because my mom heard one in in Lakeland, Florida. Felt it touch her body. And it was scary, wasn't it? I mean, they're nothing to be... I mean, do you think, well, praise God, they mess with me all. Well, they can be scary things, but you don't have to be afraid of them. That's right. Uh, you plead the blood of Jesus, That's you right. invoke the name of Jesus, brother, and right. they cannot stay. They have to bow. Period. When a believer invokes the name of Jesus, I plead the blood in Jesus' name. In fact, right now, Father, in Jesus' name, I come against the spirit of fear, the enemy that would try to breed fear. Lord, we renounce it. We reject it in Jesus' name. And Father, we speak faith, God, power, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So a wizard is a person that actually talks to these spirits. A male witch or a druid a sorcerer, a magician, a conjurer, or one who uses magic to have control of another person. Also someone who uses magic to uh, change nature. You beware of visualization, sorcerers, mantra, uh, astral travel, clairvoyancy, and things of that nature. And the Bible also teaches that no spell or anything that anyone tries to cast against the sons of Jacob can, has any power. So you don't have to worry, well, can a, de- can a witch pa- cast a spell on me? Absolutely not. Right. It has absolutely no power over me or you. Right. I told you the story about John Lazarus in India, how they went into the village and the witch doctor came out and, ca- and cursed him. Actually commissioned demons to go into his house and to try to kill him. And they came back and attacked his body and he was in the bed for two weeks. And when John came back to the village, the, the witch doctor had been in the bed paralyzed for two weeks because the demons actually did that to him. Why? Because he would opened himself to the demon, demonic realm. And God touched him, healed him, raised him up, and he became the pastor in that village. Amen? He realized there's a greater power. And he's like, I want that instead of this. So he renounced the demonic realm and he accepted Jesus Christ and became the pastor in that village. Uh, we see that today in the Indian, Indian culture a lot. The shamans and, witch, and medicine men and things of that nature. We knew a lady who thought she was an Indian. Oh, hallelujah. She was no more Indian than custard. <laughs> but she thought she was. And she had a spirit guy. She was a member of the Hawk clan. And hawks fly over. They talked to her, you know, according to her. Okay, you got, I'm telling you folks, I'm joking around a little bit to kind of make some humor, but this is very serious stuff. When she told me that the hawks are her spirit guide, I'm like, lady, she already didn't like me, so I couldn't say too much to her. <laughs> Number nine, the last one is necromancers. I wonder why, those spirits clashing against this other possibly? Yeah. Well, not possibly, absolutely. A necromancer is a person who claims to have spoken with those who have died already. Contact is made for magic and fortune-telling purposes. Uh, And again, it is not the dead that they are contacting, but evil demonic spirits who pretend to be the deceased. So beware of channeling, medium, spiritism, Ouija board, sorcery, and voodoo. Now, since Christians 
are aware of the existence of the sphere outside of the natural world, what we know as the spirit realm. There can sometimes be an unhealthy interest in the spiritual phenomenon or the alleged paranormal activity. You know, and sometimes people can really get caught up in this thing. Such an interest is not only forbidden by God, but it can be very dangerous. In that, when a person, be they Christian or non-Christian, delves into the forbidden practice of attempting to associate with the spirit realm, the person is outside of the covering of God's protection. Even a Christian, we, we step outside of his protection when we disobey God. Yeah. It was like the children of Israel, as long as they remained under the cloud, they were protected. When the cloud moved, you better move with it. The pillar of fire and the cloud, you better move with it. Because when you get out from under it, you're subject to sunburn, you're a subject to drought and famine and the enemy. And the same thing is true in the spirit realm. He that abides under the shadow of the Almighty shall say of the Lord, He is my refuge, my fortress, my strength. In my God I shall trust. And surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. The enemy shall fall to my right hand and my left hand. Why? Because I am abiding under the shadow of the Almighty. When I am in His will, no power on earth can come against me in heaven or earth. It won't work. But when I'm disobedient, I know better. And step out, and especially when I begin to delve into these things, spirit realms, and things that are forbidden, God's not going to protect you. You are fair game. You're fair game. Okay. So now, with all that said, let's look at the biblical doctrine about the, the bad guys, the boogeymen. Are you still with me? Say amen. amen. Satan, number one. Satan is real. All right. This is more of a reality today than when I was a child. Because like I said, when we were children, we just didn't know. It wasn't that my mom and dad weren't good teachers or Christian or biblical. It was just we, we just did not know these things. And kind of the, the concept of Satan and demons and all, he was a guy in a red suit with a long tail and a pitchfork. You know, and that was pretty much it. It was kind of a joke. But nowadays, with all the interest in the new fads and Harry Potter and the Blair Witch Project and the... Enchanted and Twilight and all of these scenes and Ouija boards and tarot cards and stuff, other things that's been around a long time that has kind of become popular among certain groups and especially among our teenagers who are very susceptible to those type of things. Uh, the understanding of the reality of the demonic realm and Satan has become very real. It's not a cartoon. They're not cartoon characters anymore. People begin to understand this is real. And many times they're seeking power. You know, so being drawn to this thing because it offers you power is something that is very alluring to people. Not realizing that he's not offering you power. What he's offering you is death. Because he's a deceiver and a liar. Everything about, there's nothing good he has to offer you. Anything that appears good that he offers you is a lie. Because the only thing he offers you is death and destruction. And theft. And that is what he will eventually give those who seek him out. So people understand these things. And if you yield your faculties and faith to him, you actually give him power. Because he has no power in and of himself. The Bible says he's been stripped of all of his power. Jesus said, all the power in heaven and earth has been given unto me. That doesn't leave him any. 
And everywhere we go, all the power in heaven and earth goes with us. Because he said, you go into all the world and everywhere you go, I will be with you. And so Satan doesn't have any power. But when I lend my faculties and my faith to him and to demonic spirits, I give them power. My power. Because we have power through our faith, through our spoken words and things of that nature. Do you understand that? And so we have to be very careful where we place our faith and how we yield our members to things and entities of the spirit realm. Now, there are seven Old Testament books that mention the existence of Satan. And every single one of the New Testament writers refer to Satan. So he's real. All right. Jesus also referred to him. The Bible describes him as being an intelligent being. In other words, he's, he's not stupid. No. I call him a dummy because he's, he, he, he doesn't realize that what he's doing is not going to work. But he's very intelligent. He knows how to deceive. He knows what works in your life and what doesn't. Because he studied you since the day you were born. And his minions, they've studied you. They know your weaknesses, your strength. And so they use that intelligence to work on you. They have emotions. They have wills. They hate God. Who he, Satan, he hates God because God cast him out of heaven. He hates man because we are made in the image of God. He wants to destroy you. He hungers for power, which was stripped from him. <clears throat> he knows his fate. He knows what's going to happen to him. The Bible says he's an accuser of the brethren. And when he starts accusing you and trying to remind you of your past, remind him of his future. Amen? Because I've read the end of the book. And he loses. Amen? <laughs> he's filled with jealousy, greed, hate, rage, deceit. He's a liar. He's a murderer. And make no mistake, he's evil in every way. And I point that out because you're not the only ones listening to this. It goes on the airways. And there's people that listens to these sermons that actually think Satan's a good guy. Yeah, there's people in the satanic realm that think Jesus is the bad guy. There are organizations and secret orders that teach Lucifer is the good guy. In their creedal doctrine, they teach that we serve a God that one adores without superstition. But it is a God that we adore, they said. And it goes on to say that Lucifer is God and that Jesus is a liar who goes around and spreads false and harmful statements about him. And so this is taught in certain secret orders and stuff that Lucifer's a good guy. And folks, everything about him is evil and filthy and nasty and dirty. In the Bible, his name is called Satan, the devil, which means the slanderer. He's called Lucifer, which means son of the morning. Beelzebub, which is called Lord of the Flies. How would you like to have that title? The Prince of Devils is what that's all talking about. The Prince of Devils or the Lord of the Flies. And I don't understand the fly thing, but I can tell you what. Them little critters must be, they've just got to be demonic. They're nasty. Especially the black flies in Canada. Oh, my goodness. We went up there on a bear hunt one time and millions and gazillions. I can't even tell you how many there were. And all of them wanted to get in your clothes and eat you. And when they would land on you, they wouldn't fly anymore. They would bump up against every seam on your clothes until they found a way in. You'd feel them crawling on you, but you didn't feel them bite you. Until the next day, and you'd have a red whelp, and nothing you have ever had itched like that. It'd leave scars on you. 
And they were innumerable. I mean, there were just swarms of them. And like, I understand the Lord of the Fly thing. If you've ever, if you don't get it, go to Canada in June, brother. And if the mosquitoes don't eat you, the black flies will. Or the wolves, or I mean, everything up there wants to eat you or kill you. And I'm up there with a stick and a string out in the woods by myself. It occurred to me when I, when I had my flashlight and I'm on my way back to my bike and it was a set of wolf tracks in my footprint that had followed me to my tree stand and I was like, I got a stick and a string. Moose will stomp you to death. Black bears are in here. They'll eat you. Wolves are in here. They'll eat you. And I'm a mile away from my four-wheeler. And all I got is a stick and a string. In Jesus. So I was good. I hope. I don't know if he was with me or not on that deal. He's called Bilal, which means lawless. He's called the evil one, the tempter, the prince of this world, the god of this age. He's called the prince of the power of the air, the accuser of the brethren. He is called the false angel of light. He's called the serpent. He's called the dragon. His nature is he shows himself as one of the angels of God many times. And he was actually created as one of the angels of God. Uh, in Ezekiel chapter 28, he de- describes his beginning and his end. I've selected to, to read this from the New Living Translation as it's a little easier to understand. This is a description of Satan's fall from heaven. And it's actually metaphorically described as the king of Tyre, which is really, you see, it's a created being, so it's not actually the king. It's speaking of Lucifer. It says, verse 11, uh, then this further message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, sing this funeral song for the king of Tyre. Give him this message from the sovereign Lord. You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and exquisite in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. You see, Eden had long since been destroyed, so we know this is not talking about an earthly king. It's talking about a spiritual being. You were in Eden. Your clothing was adorned with every precious stone, red carnelian, uh, pale green uh, peridot, white moonstone, blue-green pearl, onyx, green jasper, blue lapis, and you pronounce that word, turquoise and emerald. All beautiful craft, all beautifully, craft, beautifully crafted for you and set in the finest gold. They were given to you on the day that you were created. I ordained and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. You had access to the holy mountain of God and walked among the fires, the stones of fire. You were blameless in all you did from the day you were created until the day evil was found in you. Your rich commerce led you to violence and you sinned. So I banished you in disgrace from the mountain of God. I expelled you, O mighty guardian, from your place among the stones of fire. Your heart was filled with pride because of all of your beauty. Your wisdom was corrupted by your love of splendor. So I threw you to the ground and exposed you to the curious gaze of kings. You defiled your sanctuaries with your many sins and your dishonest trade. So I brought fire out from within you and it consumed you. I reduced you to ashes on the ground in the sight of all who were watching. 
Verse 19 says, All who knew you were appalled at your fate. You have come to a terrible end and you will exist no more. So you see in that example the very beginning of Lucifer and his predicted end. That's what I say. When he reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. You're going to cook, boy, from within you. Satan is not God's equal. He is neither omnipresent, omniscient, or or omnipotent. He doesn't possess all power. He can't be everywhere. He is not here today. Okay, just to let you know. Satan's not in the house. We ran the demons out, so they're not here either. They may be outside, but they're not in here. Okay? Because we told them to get out, and they had to go. However, they do attend church regularly. More regular than a lot of Christians do. Amen? They study how churches do things. They orchestrate how churches do things many times. So let's look at the demons for just a minute. They serve Satan. What do we actually know about them? They don't serve Him because they're submissive. Because there's not a submissive one in the crowd. They're all rebellious. As is Lucifer. They all rebelled. That's their nature. Rebellion. But because He is the highest ranking among them, they don't want to get on His bad side. You understand? So out of fear and force, they serve Him. They're very real. God created the demons just as He did all the other angels. Because that's what they are. They're angels. Colossians 1.16 says, For by Him were all things created that are in heaven. That's in the spirit realm. And that are in the earth. That's the natural realm. Visible, natural, and invisible. Spiritual. Okay? Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. Period. God made it all. It all began with Him, and He made it all. Lucifer, the demons, are not equal to God. There's not like a war going on in who wins. It's not like that. I mean, God don't even have to lift His pinky finger to defeat Satan. He's got to think about it, and it's done. Okay? Aren't you glad you're on the winning side? Say amen. Are you still with me? I'm almost done. Hang in there. Are you still with me? You're doing good, Pastor. Good preaching. Okay. So they're subject to Satan. It is clear from the following, uh, from the, uh, it's clear that Satan has a following of like beings because he's called the prince of demons. Matthew 12, verse 24. The Pharisees saw Jesus casting out demons. They said he does this by the power of Beelzebub, the prince of devils. So he is the highest ranking of them, and they follow him. At the fall of Satan, many angels followed him into the rebellion because that's what they are. They're fallen angels. In Revelation chapter 12, Satan is described in an imagery as the dragon, and demons are described as other angels are also described in Revelation as the stars. And we learn from that passage that one-third of the stars of the angelic host fell with Satan. So we know that ever how many angels there are, which are innumerable, a third that many fell and are in, uh, are in darkness today. So that lets me know another thing. We got them outnumbered, brother. I mean, if God and Jesus steps out of the picture, just leave it to the angels. We saw them whip up on the demons up here in that human video. Huh? Wasn't that cool? I was like, man, what, wasn't that? How many of you are like me now? They're beating up on these kids up here, and you knew that was the demons doing that. And you're like, man, 
somebody do something about that. Was you feeling that? I was feeling it. And when the light hit those angels and they come up there, I'm like, oh yeah. Look at your neighbor and say, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Their nature, they have the same kind of spirit as angels. They have personalities. They're intelligent beings. They're all morally wicked. They're always referred to as unclean, evil, and wicked in darkness. Uh, they are deceitful. They're always immoral. Uh, demons are invisible, but have been able to appear. And we learn in the book of Genesis that the sons of God, which were demonic spirits, looked upon the daughters of men and took unto them wives, and they had children, and there were giants in the land. If you're interested in that subject, I did a sermon on that called Giants in the Land, and it describes all the biblical examples of uh, actually what a lot of Bible scholars, and I happen to agree, uh, believe were angelic beings actually manifesting as human beings and coming unto, unto women. And we find in Jude that because they stepped out of the natural nature of the angelic world, they were locked away in chains until the day of judgment. So the demons, ever how many there were and whoever they were, were locked away because they left their natural estate and other places. So you can get that tape if you want to know more about that. But they can actually manifest. Uh, outside of that example, I don't know of another biblical example of demons actually manifesting. So let's be balanced in this. So you don't have to worry about one. I've heard people testify of that, but I'm talking about what the Bible says. <laughs> you know, it, it may be true or may not. I don't know. But the Bible doesn't really show a demon manifesting. It shows Satan manifesting, but not one of his subjects. Um, demons are intelligent beings. They are consciously aware. They knew Christ when He stepped on the scene. They were aware of His power. They knew their future judgment. You remember when He went to the island of Kadera, the madman came out of the tombs. The demons spoke out and said, Thou son of David, they knew who he was. Have you come before our time to cast us into the dry places of the earth? And so cast us not into the dry places, but cast us into the herd of swine. And so he cast them out. And we have the example of salted pork, because they ran into the ocean. <laughs> Amen. Devil food. Yeah. Uh they attempt to predict the future. We looked at, uh, we can look at the example of Paul. He's walking through, and this woman who was a soothsayer that brought money to, she was a slave girl, followed her, them around, and she was trying to say, "Here are these men. They are men of God." Paul finally got tired of her mouth and turned around, and realized it was an evil spirit, and he commanded the evil spirit to come out of her. And this demonic power that she was actually functioning in her was gone. And so whatever she was doing fortune telling or whatever she was attempting to do was gone and made her owners mad. Uh, their knowledge is not infinite. They, 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 can't, they don't have a supernatural knowledge. Yeah. Uh, if there is a demon in California, he can't hear what I'm saying in Virginia. He has no idea what I'm talking about. And if there's a demon outside, I believe the range of my voice, he can't hear what I'm saying. Um. However, if they are in your presence, they hear what you're saying. They have learned from long experience and observation uh, because they roam to and fro. They're not omnipresent. They're not everywhere. They're either in your presence or they're not. And usually if you're in the presence of a demon and you have any discernment whatsoever, you know it. Have you ever gotten somebody's presence and everything in you just started saying, yuck? Ever had that happen? And you're like, wow. Man, there is just something about that person, you know. 
You know, and, and I don't suggest you just go up and start trying to cast the thing out of them. You know, I mean, use a little wisdom and and let God guide you in that. Uh, and he he will reveal those things to you if you let him lead you. Uh, but they they're not omnipresent. They don't know what's going on around you unless they're in your presence. They do, however, have great strength. They do control the victims that they possess. They take control of their body. I thought that skit was really good because it showed them beating them up. And at one point, they started the people started doing exactly what the demons were doing. Did you see that and pick up on that? Because at some point, they actually the, the humans begin to be controlled by them. The more you open the door to them, the more power you give them, the more rights you give them. Now, there have been encounters that where demons have spoken. We know that they spoke in the Bible. You're not to have a conversation with them because that is some of the things that was forbidden in Deuteronomy 18. You're not to be contacting demonic spirits, familiar spirits. But we do know that they spoke back to Jesus. And He, they said, he said, Who are you? They said, We are legion, for we are many. And then they started. That was the only thing He asked them. Who are you? And so uh, there's nothing wrong with trying to identify, are you dealing with a spirit of murder? Are you dealing with a spirit of suicide, a spirit of rage, a spirit of lust? What is the spirit you're dealing with? But once you know, you ain't got to chit-chat with them. All right? All you got to do is tell them, shut your mouth and leave in Jesus' name. Because it it was put more poetically in biblical, hold, keep thy silence and come out. But in our language, like, shut your mouth and get out. Just shut up. Um, I've heard them speak. Through people, heard it. a lot of times. Well, I don't want to get too deep into that, but I've seen them manifest. I've heard them manifest in people. People start talking in little baby voices and different things like that. I heard one guy. The first encounter I ever had with a demon spirit uh, manifesting through a guy speaking. He came into our church. We was, was a, one of the first full gospel churches I attended, and this guy he was kind of experienced in the demonic realm, casting out demons and that kind of thing. And this guy came in, and finally it was determined that there was a demonic activity in this guy's life, you know. Well, he, he had an approach that I don't recommend to dealing with spirits. He jumped on the guy. Don't, don't, don't do that. that. He shouldn't have done that. But he jumped on the guy. He said, come out! Come out in Jesus' name! And the guy's voice changed. He got real guttural and growling like he said, I'm a Protestant, like that. I don't know what being a Protestant had to do with anything, but he started saying, I'm a Protestant. And he's like, shut up, shut up. Come out of him in Jesus' name. I mean, he's screaming at him. You don't have to scream at demons, all right? You don't have to touch the person. You don't have to beat them up, jump on them, tackle them or anything else. Just speak to them. I don't see Jesus doing any of that. He don't lay hands on people. He just tells them, shut up and leave. That's all you got to do. In Jesus' name, shut up and leave. We plead the blood, you know. God, hope your spirit filled. Just pray in the spirit, you know. They don't know what you're saying then. You're communicating directly to God, and they don't understand. So, the things we do. This one, are you still with me? Can I? This one lady went to a service. She thought it was like a women's get together, coffee, cookies, whatever, you know. We got there. It was a deliverance service. And say, when you came in the door, they hand you a Kentucky Fried Chicken bucket. She's like, maybe they're going to serve chicken, you know. 
So she gets in there and she said, to the head of the thing said, everybody say, hate. They said, hate. She said, now spit in the bucket. <laughs> they left. Left. Spit in the bucket. She said, by the time I got through it, I didn't have any spit left. Yeah. I, <laughs> I believe God must have a sense of humor. Don't you know He does? He looks at some of the stuff we do. He's like, oh, <laughs> where did they get that? Let me see. Chapter and book. Let's see. Maybe I wrote it in there somewhere. I forgot, you know. <laughs> oh, God, help us. Let me move on here. Ooh, having too much fun. Uh, people want to know, can Christians be possessed with devils? All right? So let me just address that. Can a Christian be possessed with a devil? Uh, the answer is only if you backslide and you step out of the will of God. We see in Luke chapter 11, verse 24. That was me hitting the mic. That wasn't a demon, right? When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man and he walks through the dry places seeking, that's the spirit doing the walking. He walks through the dry places seeking rest and he finds none. He says, I will return into my house once I came out. And when he comes, he finds it swept and garnished. In other words, it's clean, it's empty, and it looks good. But there's nothing in it. Are you getting this? There's nothing in there. You need to be filled with the spirit. Amen. He he goeth, then goeth he and take with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. Now that tells me another thing. Some de demons are more wicked than others. Do you see that? There's a different rank, different levels of power and wickedness. So he gets he goes and gets some more bad guys that's worse than he is, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. Now you say, well, is that referring to a Christian? Well, Peter addresses it in Second Peter 2. He says, if after you have escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, that sounds to me like you've cleaned the house. Amen. You've escaped the pollution. You're clean. They are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning, for it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandments delivered unto them. I can tell you this. If you've got a heart for God and you're seeking God and you want to please God, no demon can possess you. All right? They can harass you. They can taunt you. They can lie to you. They can allure you and draw you and all those things. But they cannot take control of your body and make you do anything. Do you understand that? Jesus, the Spirit of God dwells in me. The Bible says I'm a temple of God. The Spirit of God dwells in me and He is not going to roommate with a demon. There's not room in my spirit for both. He's not going to pile around and share a bedroom with them, I can tell you. So in conclusion, there, there are many, many other things. I just kind of hit a lot of the highlights uh, that I could say on this subject. But the thing that we need to know most of all is that we have authority over these demonic powers. Mark chapter 16, verse 17 really speaks directly to that. He said, these are the signs shall follow them that believe. The first thing he says is, you will cast out devils. In fact, everything in that list is all dealing with spiritual things. 
The church mistakenly over the years have understood some of this to be natural things. Everything in that passage is referring to spiritual things. It says you'll cast out devils as spiritual. All right? He says uh, you will speak with new tongues. We know that that is the manifestation of the presence of the Holy Spirit. On the day of Pentecost we see it. In the house of Cornelius we see it. We see it in Samaria. We see it when Paul meets the apostles of John. Everywhere we see that. Speaking with tongues is the manifestation of the baptism of the Spirit. It's spiritual. It says they will take up serpents. And everybody's like, oh boy, grab a rattlesnake and let's go. If you believe in God, you go grab that rattlesnake. Yeah, whoo! That's not talking about a rattlesnake. All right? It is a Greek word that actually means a malicious person or personality. It's talking about taking authority over the serpent himself. One of the names of Lucifer. It is a spirit. Everything in that is spiritual. There's nothing natural. If you drink any deadly thing. Paul said if you go and sit in somebody's house and they offer you something that has been offered to idols and you partake of it, you drink unto that idol. You're drinking something deadly. Don't do that, he says. Or if you eat meat that's been offered, you're eating unto that idol. You're partaking of that idol. Don't do that. But if you don't know that it's been offered to an idol, go ahead and eat it because your conscience is clear. You didn't know you're doing it. If you drink any deadly thing. See, drinking something is not necessarily natural. Jesus said, can you drink of the cup that I'm going to drink of? Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, I will drink of it. Spiritual. You understand that? Everybody with me? So all of these things are spiritual, and certainly one of them is you will cast out devils. We have authority over them. But if you yield yourself to the demon, if you don't walk in that authority, you don't recognize it, and you don't take that authority and use it, you can very likely yield yourself to demon powers. Peter did. I mean, Peter, the guy's always sticking his foot in his mouth. Jesus says, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Some say you're Elias or one of the other prophets. Who do you say I am? Oh, Peter, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. Upon this rock I'll build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And Peter's like, yeah, God talking to me. Uh huh. And then Jesus says, I'm going to go and be crucified. And he tells them, you know, I'm going to be, go be crucified, and the third day I'm going to raise, and this is the Word of God, the will of God. And Peter says, oh, no, no, God, far be it from you. He looks at Peter, who just got rewarded for his revelation from God. He looks at him right now and says, get behind me, Satan, for you are a reproach unto me. So we've got to be careful. Anytime we compromise the Word of God, are you with me? Anytime we know something is true and we choose not to do it, we're stepping outside of the will of God. And we very likely can yield ourselves to demonic spirits and be used by them. Many Christians give heed to these seducing spirits. Peter, uh, Paul wrote to Timothy and says, In the last days, many will depart from the faith and give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. That means they teach. They have a doctrine. They have a teaching. And a lot of people heed to those teachings. That's what I say. They know how churches work. They orchestrate and organize a lot of churches. Because a lot of the doctrines that people, that people practice in church is not from this book. Are you hearing me? Boy, you guys are being awful quiet. 
You're either pondering on the deep subject we're talking about or you're going to sleep. I'm going to finish up. Last thing is, how do I know that I'm yielding to a demon spirit? Compromise. First thing is compromise. When you know the truth, but the motive of my heart is contrary to the teachings of Christ, I'm very likely listening to a demon spirit. When I know it's true, but I don't do it. Remember, every time we say but, we compromise the Word of God. We give up ground to the enemy. We're very likely listening to a demon spirit, or sometimes we're just following our world view. But the problem is our worldview at some point was taught by a demon. If our worldview is not God's view, if we don't have a godly worldview, then we have a demonic worldview. Where did we get that? From demon spirits. For example, it's my right. They're not going to do that to me. Who do they think they are? Cut me off in traffic? I'm going to do 80 miles an hour until I get back in front of him. Huh? Whose doctrine is that? That kind of goes contrary to do good to those who do evil against you. Huh? Who are we listening to? Hey, brother, I'm preaching to the choir. I know. I'm preaching to myself because I, I hate to get cut off in traffic. Blow their horn at me. Who are you blowing the horn at? Huh? Where's that come from? Boy, it's quiet now. I know I'm stomping on some toes now, brother. I'll get my day, brother. I'm going to speak my mind. huh? I'm going to get even. All of these worldviews are contrary to the Word of God. So how do I know if I'm listening to a demonic spirit? When I'm doing something that I know is contrary to God's Word. I'm listening to a spirit, but it's not the Holy Spirit. Amen? So when we compromise the Word of God, whose doctrine are we following? 